Last week, we started a short series titled Holy Spirit and Worship. Holy Spirit and Worship. So we're going to continue today okay, and take it some, you know, a step deeper. Holy Spirit and Worship. Let's look at, um, I don't have my, I don't, I'm not using slides, so you have to really, really pay attention, okay? I'd like you to follow, follow this. John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. This is when Jesus met the woman by the well of Samaria. And, you know, the, the conversation eventually got to the point of um, worship. They started discussing worship. So Jesus was trying to correct some of the misconceptions that this woman had, which we looked into that last week, misconceptions about worship. Okay? The hour is coming, and now is where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Okay? Verse 24. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we see here Jesus speaking about worship. Let's look at Luke chapter 11. Let's start from verse 1. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. And as he, you know, he stopped, he ceased praying. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught in his disciples, all right? And look at what he said to them. He said, when you pray, this is why you should go. So he gave us the outline of prayer. Our Father who art in, in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's worship. So Jesus in days set up the priority of worship in the kingdom of God. Please understand, the most important person in the kingdom of God is not you or, you or I. The most important person in the kingdom of God is the king of that kingdom. Okay? And in this case, it happens to be Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the king of the kingdom, he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. So, worship is a priority in the kingdom of God. It is this worship, when we worship God, when we prioritize worship, Listen to me. It helps you and I to build our relationship with God. When we prioritize worship, it helps us to build our relationship with God. And I know that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, wherever the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. And many people have taken this scripture to mean that wherever the Spirit of God is, there is lawlessness. Wherever the Spirit of God is, anything goes. Some people, that's the way some people have interpreted the scripture. That wherever the Spirit of God is, you can do whatever you want to do. But that's not true. The totality of the Bible does not teach that you and I can do whatever we want to do. The totality of the Bible teaches us that God is a God of principles. God is a God of commandments and instructions. In Deuteronomy 28 verse 1, it says, If you diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. Then he now tells us these blessings will follow us and overtake us, for it will set us above all the nations of the earth. So God is a God of principles, commandments, instructions. We don't just do anything we want to do. The liberty is talking about there, and I don't want to get into that scripture because it's outside of my scope for today. You know, it's not talking about the liberty of just making any choice, anything we give to God, God accepts. It's not everything we do. Okay, that God accepts. It's only acceptable to God when it is done based on the instructions that God has given. When we follow the pattern God has laid down. Let's look at that. 
in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Look at what it says. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us, with grace, you know, serve God. But serve God how? Acceptably, with reverence and with godly fear. Did you see that now? Acceptably, which is telling us that it's also possible to serve God in a way that is not acceptable. You see that? Let's look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. Genesis chapter 4 and the fourth verse. So, you know, let's start from verse 1, actually. Let's start from verse 1. So, this is an indication of an offering, things, things that were offered to God, just like you and I offer our worship to God. All right? Keep on, keep on going. Verse 2. Verse 3, please. So, the Bible says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain, all right, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Verse 4 says, Abel also brought the firstborn of his own flock and of the fat. Now, look at what it says now. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. So, what this is telling you is that two people might stand, two people might be worshiping God. And God is accepting the worship of one person, which leads to closer, you know, relationship with God, intimacy, and some other things we're going to discuss. While somebody else is worshiping God just the way they want to, and say, oh, well, wherever the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. And God is saying it's not acceptable. So it's a complete waste of time on their part. Okay? And when you see what happened eventually to Cain, you know, it wasn't good. Cain didn't end well. So it's important we do things in line with the way God wants us to do it. And we spoke about that last week, about real worship, some of the things that are involved in that. So today I want to really focus on the fact that when you and I begin to worship God, the primary thing, primary thing that happens when we begin to worship God without distractions, okay, not the type of worship we do that we pick up our phone calls in the midst of the worship, we're worshiping God, we're singing to God, you know, um, you know, and all of that. As so we're singing to God, suddenly our phone rings, we pick it up, say, hello, hello, yeah, I'm actually worshiping now. I'm worshiping. Uh, uh, what do you want to say? So, Pastor, I just wanted to say, uh, and the person chats on you, you know, chats with you for another 10, 15 minutes. You chat, you laugh, you forgot it. God, you know, God is still there. You've left God hanging, you know. Then you come back again later on. You don't even know where you are. You just say, oh, God, I just want to thank you. I, no, no, no you, don't, you don't do that. If you were sitting in an interview, you've been, you know, looking for a job for a while. Now you're sitting at an interview or immigration and your phone rings. You know, what do you do? One day I remember I was on my way to the U.S. And as you know, here in Canada, the immigration, the U.S., you know, border services, you know, immigration, they are located here at the airport in Canada. That's just the system. So you go through U.S. immigration here in Canada before you get on the plane. So as we stood there, you could see the, they put some notice that says, um, don't use your phone. You know, switch off your phone and all of that. So I had my phone with me. And I was just checking my text messages, you know, uh, and all of that. The key was a little bit long, so I mean, what am I supposed to do? So I put it out and checked my text messages. So one lady came to me and said, excuse me, uh, you're not allowed to do that. And, you know, I understand leverage. Okay, I understand. I said, at that point, I don't have leverage. This is U.S. I'm going to. I'm not a citizen of the U.S. I can't be arguing with anybody. So I said, oh, 
Thank you very much. I took my phone. I put it in the place where my hand would not touch it for a while. A guy that was behind me, you know, he was talking on the phone. So the same lady also said to her, um, excuse me, um, you know, you know a lot to use that. She said, he started arguing. He said, why? What is this and all that? So, I, I, you know, this is what my mother told me, taught me. You know, since he was arguing and I didn't want our destiny to be joined, I took two or three steps away from him so that they don't assume we're going together. You understand? I took two or three steps away from him. He said, my brother, please don't come and scatter my own destiny. You know, I'm, you know, lo and behold, a few more minutes later, maybe about 10 minutes later or something like that, you know, it got to my tongue. I went this way. This guy went this way. You know, to, you know, the, you know the little kiosk. You know, talk to the immigration officer. They asked, asked me, where are you going? Um, I told him the state I was going to. What are you going there to do? Oh, just for a conference. You know, I'm a pastor. What do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor of church here in Mississauga. Blah, 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 blah. How much do you have with you? Oh, I'm not carrying any cash, but I have my credit card. When are you coming back? Oh, just a three-day trip. Oh, have a nice day. Enjoy yourself. That's it. I look back. <laughs> my guy was still, <laughs> my guy was still being drilled. You know, I look back, what guys do? Then, because I understand how this thing works, you know, because I've been through the stuff. I've been through stuff. After, you know, I, saw, I was going, I wanted to know what was going on with this guy. After about, you know, I walked, before I could go so that, I, go, you know, so that the guy would not, I won't see him anymore, you know, you to be out of my line of sight. I waited a little bit to see, see, he was still there. And people were coming, they were going, they were there. The guy was still there. Then the next thing I saw, another immigration officer came. And they handed him to another immigration officer. I don't know what happened, but they handed him maybe for secondary inspection. Maybe, who knows? But, you know, I'm sure he will learn his lesson. Next time when they tell you, he won't even travel with his phone. <laughs> you know? But I, my point here is that when you feel that you're doing something very important, you know, you switch off your phone. Worship is the most important thing you can do. Switch off the phone. And all, all this whole idea of, you say, oh, I'm worshiping God, and God understands, God knows. You're always under your comfort every time you worship God. As we gather, may your spirit walk within us. You are sleeping off. Then you wake up 35 minutes later from, your, from dozing. Knowing well that as our hearts begin to worship, we'll be blessed because you came. God said, I came 35 minutes ago when you started this prayer. Where were you? You're still sleeping. You know? No. 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 Don't do that. Praise God. Get yourself into the right posture and, you know, get worship. So when we begin to worship God, the most important thing, most important thing that happens in our worship is that God is enthroned in our praise or in our worship. Psalm 22 verse 3. God is enthroned in our praise. Psalm 22 verse 3. When if you and I are able to correctly worship God, Without distractions, in the correct prescribed manner by God, of course with a pure heart and with clean hands and all of that, if you and I are able to do that effectively, what happens is God, Psalm 22 verse 3, is enthroned in, on our worship. So today we want to really look at what does it mean to be enthroned and what is the benefit of that to me you know, in my worship. So let's take a quick look at that. Let me say something to you quickly at this point, and I'll probably teach on this a bit more extensively later on this year, you know, by the grace of God, if Jesus tarries. Jesus Christ, of course, as you know, has many facets. Okay? It's manifold. God is manifold God. He has many, many dimensions. 
God has dimensions. Okay, let's simplify it. Jesus the Christ, it has many dimensions. Number one, okay, John chapter 1 verse 29 is the Lamb of God. John chapter 1 verse 29 is the Lamb of God. John chapter 8 verse 12 is the light of the world. The light of the world. Okay, in John chapter 11, in John chapter 14, Verse 6 is the way, is the truth and the life. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay? But in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, he also tells us is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But we have to also understand that Jesus Christ is king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Since we're talking about kingdom now, Jesus Christ is also king. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our sacrifice. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 is our sacrifice. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 is our propitiation. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is our ransom. Okay. But Jesus is also king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So, when we begin to worship God, listen carefully, he comes in and manifests himself to us as King Jesus. He comes, when the Bible says he's enthroned, the people that sit on thrones are kings. The royals. He's telling us that when we begin to worship God, God comes to manifest himself as a king to us. What's the relevance of that? Why is that important? Well, the importance of that is this. Everything God can do, please listen carefully, everything God can do, okay, can be done as a king. <laughs> everything God will do for you and I can be exercised as a king so when he gets enthroned in our worship it means he has come in his full power in the full power okay, exercised by the almighty he's come in the fullness of God alright so then, so he gets enthroned in our worship as king this is a very, very important thing. So then, the question then is, what does he do as a king? So I'm going to tell you three things, and we'll, we'll, we'll unpack some of them today. Some other time we'll unpack maybe a bit more. Okay? Three things that Jesus does as a king when he sits on the throne of our worship. Number one, he speaks we're going to unpack it in a few minutes. The first thing he does, he speaks. A king speaks. Number two, he settles issues. No, you will remember the story of Solomon when he sat as a king. He settled the issue between the two harlots in First Kings three. When the king sits, he speaks. Number one. Number two, he settles issues. Okay, that's what the king does. Then number three, when the king sits, not only does he speak, not only does he settle, 
the king has authority. Everybody in the kingdom is at his beck and call to send people on errand. Oh my God. My God. To send his own personal staff uh, and in this case now, will be, that will be angels okay, to send them on errand on our behalf. So if you come to the king and say, king, I need this. If you remember the story of, if you don't remember, you read it. First Kings chapter 1 verse 1. When Adonijah, a man called Adonijah, the senior brother of Solomon, exalted himself and wanted to usurp the position ordained by God for Solomon, all David did, David did not rise up from his throne. He sat down on his throne as king and he sent Nathan, the prophet, okay? And he told him to take the oil and he sent his bodyguards and he said, go to a place called Gion and anoint Solomon king there. That's all. He, he sent them on an errand and once they did that, there, there was a shift in the realm of the spirit, okay? And the conspiracy of Adonijah collapsed while Solomon sat on the, on the throne, became king. So all the king does when he comes to the he does more than this, but three things. Number one, he speaks. Number two, he settles issues. Number three, he sends. These are very important things, you know, uh, that are so, so deep. Uh, uh, we can just unpack a few of them um, today. Psalm 29, verse 1 to 3. When the king is enthroned, he speaks. What is the importance of God speaking? Give unto the Lord, O you mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Keep going, please. He says, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. All right? Worship the Lord. Did you see that? Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Okay? Please go back to verse 2. Notice he did not say just worship the Lord. He's telling you that in order to do this effectively, you have to be in the beauty of holiness. That's one of the principles. Then verse 3, it says, it now tells us, the voice of God is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. Keep going, please. Then it says, the voice of God is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. In other words, another way of saying that is that when we worship God correctly, God is enthroned and God speaks. He speaks. He speaks into our situation. Into, okay, our situation. He speaks about our future. Okay? So he speaks into our situation. He speaks about our future. Okay? Uh, amongst many other things. So, let's explore this a little bit further. When God speaks, alright, when God speaks to us, what does it do? When we hear the voice of God, what does it do in our lives? Why is it important for me that God speaks to me. Why is it important for that God speaks into my situation and that God speaks about my future? What does that do? Psalm 33, Psalm 33, verse 9, okay? It says, God speaks for he spoke. And what happened? It was done. 
He spoke and it was done. And when he commanded, which means he's speaking, whatever he said was going to happen, he stood fast. Keep going, please. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations. The nations he's talking about here is the enemies, okay, of children of Israel. Okay? To nothing. He makes their plan of no effect. Verse 11. He now says, but the counsel of God stands forever. So when he speaks, he can speak into our situation, but he also speaks the plans of his own heart concerning us about our future. Okay? We need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear the voice of God. Voice of God, not just, you know, voice of God as in the voice of the Holy Spirit, but through the scriptures. Okay? We need to hear. Everybody needs to hear. He said, my sheep hear my voice. Now listen, when God speaks, then what happens? Number one, direction happens. Clarity happens. Direction. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, it says, your ears will hear a word behind you. What would that word be saying? This is the way, walk in it. So that whenever you turn to the right, and even when you turn to the left, God will never leave you without you knowing what to do and where to go. Direction. We are living in a time now where people don't know what to do. Confusion is very rampant. People are confused. So you know, people come out of university, come out of school, they're confused. What have you studied? Well, I studied geography and human behavior. Geography and human behavior. I asked one lady, what did you study? She said, I studied geography and, and I, studied, I studied biology and human geography. I said, oh God. I said, do you mean human biology and geography? He said, no, no, no. Human geography and biology. I said, low, low, low. God have mercy. What on earth are you going to do with that? You're 21, 20, you know, 22. You come out of university, you've studied human geography. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? The good news is that we have a very robust economy in Canada. We have a wide-ranging economy. But what are you going to do with that? What direction should I go? Some of you are about to get into university. You don't even know what courses you study. Some of you have come out of university. You have a good job. Things are working. You don't know where to live. You know, should I live in Toronto? Should I move to Montreal? Should I go to Alberta? Should I go to Calgary? Where should I be? You know, what, should I go back to the U.S.? My, my parents gave back to me in the U.S., but now I live in Canada. Should I go back to the U.S.? You don't know what to do. Some of you have met some people. You know, you don't know some guys that are talking to you. You don't, know what, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to choose. You know, it's all over your head. You know, so you're trying to do mini, mini, my, mini, mini, my, mini, mini, my, to just pick one out of the drawer. You can't live your life based on lottery. God doesn't want us to do that. He gives us direction. Psalm 32 verse 8. God guarantees he will lead us. Let's look at it. God is speaking here. He says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. And I will guide you with my eye. This is loaded. Okay? So God wants to give you direction. He wants to give you clarity. You know, I'm, I have so many examples I can give you in my own personal life and testimonies about the church. How God has just been leading us. And how God even led us into this place. You know, the leading of God. The leading of God. The leading of God. So God tells you, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. He begins to tell you, this is me. This is me. You know, go ahead this way. Follow this particular pattern. Follow this particular instruction. This is what you ought to do. If you do this, this is what, what you're trusting me for. If you do this, 
you know, this is what's going to come out of it. Clarity about your future. Direction. Number two, when God speaks, what happens when God speaks? When God speaks, he brings confidence to you. You see, many people don't even understand the confidence the Bible talks about. When the Bible says, don't cast away your confidence, for it has a great recompense or reward. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35. When the Bible says that, people don't understand the type of confidence. The confidence the Bible is talking about, please listen to me carefully, it's not talking about the confidence that is based on academic achievement. Thank God for that. To God be glory for every of your academic accomplishment. We give you a praise for that. But that's not the confidence the Bible is talking about. It's not talking about the confidence you have because you have a swollen bank account, you know, or your parents have deposited some serious money for you, or when you were 18 years old, your parents bought some townhouses in your name, okay, at the age of 18, and, you know, they put, they put tenants there saying to you that you don't worry about that. By the time you're going to be turning, I don't know, maybe by 30 or so, you know, you already have, you're already multi-millionaire, you know, and things are just working for you, you know, and you're saying to yourself, I have confidence. That's not the confidence the Bible is talking about. The confidence the Bible is talking about is the confidence based on the word of God. Simple. Based on the word you had from God. As in you're reading your Bible, the word that comes into your heart based on that. It's as simple as that. That's the confidence he's talking about. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus Christ, okay, had not done any miracle. So his confidence could not be built on his achievement. He has not done any miracle. He's not preaching one sermon. So it couldn't be based on what he has achieved. So but the Bible says when he was baptized, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That gave him unusual confidence. Okay? You have this confidence. The word of God brings affirmation. You know, many of us suffer today because we never got affirmed. Our parents didn't affirm us. Our teachers didn't affirm us. And some people that are married, their husband disaffirms them or deaffirms them. You know? So we, 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 we see all of this. You know, they are never affirmed. Nobody has put a hand around the shoulder and said, well done, that's fantastic. That's great. And no matter how big we are, no matter who we are, it's part and parcel of our need as human beings to be affirmed. And some of us have never been affirmed. Some of you guys, the challenge you're having with low confidence and low self-esteem, and some of you ladies, is just because your father, biological father, was never there to affirm you. He was too busy trying to make the money he did not make. <laughs> or too, too busy spending it uselessly. Okay? That he never had time to affirm his children. So you were never affirmed. Oh, he was too busy fighting your mom. He never had any time to affirm you. And we all need this affirmation. One thing the Bible, the Word of God does, is that it brings affirmation to us. That's what happened to me. You know, though I have a fantastic God-given biological father that affirmed me to the heavens, but in doing what I'm doing right now, I can't just stay with that particular affirmation. I needed God to affirm me. 
to give me a strong assurance from his word that is with me. And year after year, time after time, again again, I've been privileged to hear the voice of God affirming me in what I'm doing. Okay? And that brings tremendous confidence. So once God affirms you, you are not really bothered about critics. You're not bothered about cynics. You're not bothered about skeptics. You're just not bothered about all of those people. You just let them be, let them, let them be doing what they want to do. Let them criticize. Let them be cynical. Let them be skeptical. You know, let them, be, whatever they want to be, let them be. You just focus on your assignment and on and on and on and on you go. Eventually, time will tell that they are wasting their time. John chapter 12 verse 19. Time will tell them that they are just wasting their time. The Pharisees said among themselves, they were saying it among themselves, you see, you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Talking about Christ. They criticized him. They were cynical. They were skeptical. They were critical. They were, you know, opposing him at every turn. Jesus never focused on them. He got the affirmation from his father. He didn't need the affirmation of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He just went on. That's what I saw, and I saw that I said to myself, okay, God just speak to me. I don't need anybody coming to affirm me, you know. Uh, if, if they do, that's fine, but if they don't, that's also fine. I'm moving on. That the fact that somebody criticizes you, that doesn't mean change anything for me. It doesn't move me. The fact that somebody's cynical or skeptical or somebody says, well, you know what, I, I'm moving on. That does not move me. Moving on does not move me. Because the Bible already tells me I should be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And what makes us immovable, abounding in this work of God, is because we are affirmed. We know, I know that I know that I know. I'm in the perfect dead bull's eye center of the will of God for my life. Affirmation. What else happens when God speaks? Promotion happens. Revelation to the 4 verse 1. When God speaks, promotion happens. He said, after these things I looked and behold, a door opening in heaven, the voice which I heard was like a trumpet and he said, come up here. Come up here. That's promotion. Come up here. Promotion happens. When God speaks, listen carefully. Promotion doesn't happen after you get a letter that tells you you've been promoted, promotion is manifested when you get the letter. But the real promotion happens after God has spoken. And I sense in my spirit, somebody will be promoted this afternoon in Jesus' name. Somebody is joining us today, is listening to this now. You will be promoted this afternoon in the name of Jesus Christ. So promotion happens when God speaks. In the year 2015, um, in the year 2015, okay, in the, in the month of February, February 2015, I was studying my Bible one morning, and suddenly I got to the book of Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, okay? Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, and it says, it reads, the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. I was just reading my Bible. And when I got to this place, I couldn't leave the place. I felt I should look into it a bit more. As I was looking into it a bit more, I heard the voice of God clear to me. 
you know, it was February, February. And the first of all came, he said to me, major promotion is coming. Major promotion is coming. I was so excited. I had the voice of God. Major promotion is coming. I took it. I couldn't hold it. I came to church. I was about to preach a sermon Sunday morning. And I announced to the whole church. I said, this is what God spoke to me about this morning. This is 2015 February. I think it's February 8th or something like that, if I remember. You know, I said, this is what God said to me this morning. Major, not job, major promotion is coming. The old church got excited. Some people didn't go. Some people just sat down. Some people, whatever, it doesn't matter. God has spoken. Major promotion is coming. You know, and all of that. And I declared it also over the people in the church. Lo and behold, two months later. Two months later. Okay. Two months later. <laughs> on the 30th of April. Okay. In the afternoon. At exactly 12.21 p.m. I got a phone call from the president of a university college. Okay, a Christian you know, college. You know, one of the first Christian colleges in Canada here. Highly reputable. And they called me, you know, and left a message for me. And when I got the message, I was, initially I was a little bit dumbfounded. Because the message basically said, you know, hello Pastor Wale, go something around. Hello Pastor Wale, you know, this is so and so. And, um, you know, I've been checked quite a bit, followed the ministry for a long time. And so, you know, it's our pleasure to be able to have a conversation with you because in our, in our college, every year at the graduation, we offer only one person a honorary degree that we give to one person only, you know, based on very clear criteria of impact, okay? And many years of service in ministry, you know, um, a doctorate degree, doctorate of divinity. So I thought, does this person miss a digit in the number and just called me? So I picked up the phone later on, called the person, and I said, oh, oh, thank you so much for calling back. And told me, I said, this is the criteria. And as he was telling me the criteria, I was saying to myself, oh, okay, now it's true. I, it was a mistake because I, I didn't meet all this criteria. Number one, <laughs> you must have had, it's about 30, 35 years, you know, you've been in ministry doing impactful, proven, you know, leadership in ministry and on and on. By the time they finished, I said, no. He said, but however, our, our board of governors, they, in this particular year, unanimously decided that, you know, it's you that, you know, we're going to be giving this thing to. The last person, one of the few people they gave, they gave to T.D. Jakes and all of that. I said to myself, what a company of people. Seriously? And that's how on the, on the 6th of June of that particular year, by the grace of God, I went in there and received the honorary degree. And that opened up some other major, major doors and transformed our, the ministry. Why? Because God spoke. When God speaks, promotion comes. I'm speaking on behalf of God to somebody today that is watching. Watching this now and that will be worshipping God. Okay? In the next couple of days, I'm going to give you an assignment at the end of this service. In the name of Jesus, I declare over you, major promotion is coming. In Jesus' name. Major promotion is coming in Jesus' name. Let me make it personal to you. I declare over you, wherever you are, I'm speaking as an ambassador of Christ, as a representative of the God Almighty here today. Concerning you, major promotion is coming your way in Jesus' mighty name. You can write it down in your journal, you can write it down in your diary. 
today's date and write, major promotion is coming. If you don't have a personal journal, you can send a text message to yourself so that you don't have today's date. Say, major promotion is coming. So when God speaks, okay, there is direction. When God speaks, there's affirmation. When God speaks, there's promotion. Number four, and we leave it at that, when God speaks, possibilities happen. When God speaks, possibilities happen. The things that you thought would never happen, happens. You know, Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Let's look at it. The gospel according to St. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. It is the story of a man that had a situation that is a personification of impossibility. The Bible says his hand was withered. It cannot be healed. No doctor can straighten out a withered hand. No doctor can heal a withered hand. No doctor can reverse that. Okay? So this man's case is beyond the scope of any particular person in the natural. The Bible says the man entered the synagogue and he had a withered hand. Keep going, please. Jesus watched, so they watched Jesus closely, okay, to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, all right? And Jesus said to the man who had a withered hand, oh, I really love this. Jesus said to the man, step forward. Get out of the religious people. Don't bother about these people that have unbelief. You step out there. Leave your unbelieving friends alone. Just step out from the company of your unbelieving friends. And in verse 4, so the guy did. In verse 4, Jesus asked the skeptics, you know, a question. Is it lawful to save life or to kill on the Sabbath? But they kept silence. And verse 5 says, Jesus was, you know, was filled with anger, grieved by the hardness of heart. But this is where I'm really going. He said to the man, now notice what he said to the man. Stretch out your hand. That on its own is an oxymoron. I mean, how do I stretch out my hand? That's the very problem. The hand is withered. How can I stretch it out? It's with, that's the, if I could stretch it out, it would not be withered. But Jesus said, stretch it out. And the Bible said, he stretched it out. And the hand was restored. Why? Why is that so? Why is it that when Jesus said, stretch it out, all of a sudden, the man was able to stretch it out. Because when God speaks, it is done. Once Jesus said, stretch out your hand, that's all he said. Immediately, the power, the capacity, the ability for that hand to function started happening. I don't want to go too deep into this, but what actually happens is this. When God speaks, everything hears. Living thing, non-living thing, everything lines up, everything hears. Everything hears. Let me give you another example. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 7. You know, it's the story of the widow that ran into debt, and the, debt, the creditors had come in to ask for her two sons who were collateral for the debt. And Elijah you know, gave her a solution. Go borrow vessels, don't borrow a few. You know, get the oil in your house, pour them into these big vessels, set them aside. So she, she did all of that. So she came back to the man of God, verse 6. You know, came back to the man of God, and, you know, let's get to verse 7, sorry. And she told the man of God, she said, you know what, I've done what you've done. I have a, my house is now full of jars, the big jars filled with oil. How do I convert that to money? I'm not owing the creditors um, oil. I'm owing them money. How do I convert the oil into money? Listen to what Elisha said. 
and I will read what he said. Then I will tell you what to pay attention to that he's not saying. So Elijah said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts, you and your sons, and live on the rest. All right? Now, the first thing you should see in this story is that Elisha never asked the woman, how many jars of oil were you able to produce? So how did Elisha know it would be enough to pay off her debt and live on the rest? The truth is that, naturally speaking, Elisha did not know that. But it was not consequential. Why? Notice that Elisha also did not ask this woman, do you have a business experience? Have you ever sold anything? No. Do you have any cousin, neighbor, relative, anybody, aunties, uncles, junior cousins, second sisters, brothers, half-brother that can sell? Do you know anybody that can sell? Elisha did not ask her. From this story, it is, it is you know, safe to, uh, to, 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 to assume that this woman has never sold anything before. She was the wife of a prophet. In those days, they don't sell things, you know. She didn't sell anything. But how, how did Elisha know she would know how to sell? Well, Elisha didn't know that. How did Elisha know that she would have customers? She's selling oil. Oil is not something that was cast in Israel. Everybody have oil in, at home. Olive oil is something that is very common in Israel. So how is it that she would be able to sell all this excess oil she has at home? It's not, it's not relevant to what Elisha was saying. Why? Because once Elisha said, go, sell the oil. Immediately Elisha said that the people that will buy the oil at a profit for the woman, at a price where the woman will make enough profit to live on and to pay her debt hard. Now, they didn't hear physically. Okay? They didn't hear physically. But something seared them up. And they started saying, you know what? I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but I need to buy oil. We need to say, well, but you have oil at home. I understand that, but I feel that I want this, let's, let's, let's put oil, you know, let's keep some, you know, in reserve. Somebody else might say, well, you know, I have all this money, but I'm beginning to think that I want to convert it to oil. Oil is a bit safe now. It's a place to pack your money. <laughs> and suddenly, the woman, the woman showed up and said, you know what, guys? You know, showed up in the common market and said, She's never had an experience. She doesn't know how to sell. She doesn't know how to talk to customers. But the customers were coming to her and said, Ma'am, you have some oil? He said, Oh, wow, you have a lot of oil. And looking at the oil, they found the oil to be very attractive. He said, Wow, this is of very high quality. Without taking it to the laboratory. This is very of high quality, man. It's the only one jar you have. Do you still have more? While the other person is pricing it, somebody else comes and says, I, I want to buy it. So there's a competition. The demand is now outstripping the supply. So the price goes up. All because Elisha spoke. You know, I've, 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 I've done this several times. I called people forward, I want to sell things. In church, I remember I called people forward one day that I've been finding it difficult to sell what they want to sell. One man has been finding it difficult to sell some cars, you know, that he took to Africa to sell. He's finding it very difficult. Another man wanted to sell a property, finding it difficult. And they came forward after I prayed for that. I told them, go and sell it. That was it. The man came back and said, it was amazing. That same Sunday evening, the seller receiving phone calls. Something is not be able to sell for three years. Because once that word was said, immediately 
The person that will buy hard. Listen to me very carefully. Same thing with buying houses. If I call people forward and you know that that's happened so many times in house of and I say to you, go this week, go and get the house. He said, oh, but pastor, I, I don't know. Once I said that, I tell them, go and meet an agent. Go and do this. Go and do that. You know what I say. It within 24 hours, reach out to an agent or find a builder. Just talk to them. You don't need to sign any contract right now. But just talk to them. Act on that. What happens is that everything you will need begins to line up. Begins to line up. Begins to line up. When God speaks, Second Kings chapter seven verse one, He spoke and He said, "By this time tomorrow, there will be surplus." Then the Bible says there were some four lepers that sat at the gates. Suddenly, something set them up and they said, you know what? At the risk of our lives, let's go to the Syrian camp. Can you imagine that? Lepers, they were steered up because he spoke. Spoke. King Cyrus' spirit was steered up because Jeremiah prophesied. Ezra chapter 1 verse 1. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. God steered up the spirit of Cyrus. And he issued a proclamation and released the children of Israel from captivity. Well, I laid that foundation for somebody there.